Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Not a Final Girl podcast. Why not a final girl? Because she always dies first. She, meaning me and Janet, welcome back. Welcome back, everybody. So last week we covered The Innkeepers, and I did watch that movie. And my quick recap, uh, 2 out of 10. Didn't really like it. Didn't hate it. I found it kind of boring and run-of-the-mill paranormal horror. I think it had, like, bad characters, like, a couple of good scares, but, like, confusing plot, really slow pacing, and (laughs) the effects and stuff just weren't that great. And I had to go online to learn that Claire apparently died of an asthma attack, and the ghosts are, like, 50-50% real or not real, so I'm just like, I don't know, it's not my movie. (laughs) She had a ton of comments the whole time we were watching it. Pause. Wait, what? Go back. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. That doesn't seem right. <laughs> because it didn't. It like I felt bad because you were like, yeah, I liked it. And I'm like, I hate this. <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> like, that's part of it, though. We're going to have to disagree. That's just how it is. That's going to be how it is. I know, but I still felt bad that I was like shitting on this movie. And you're like, oh, but I enjoyed it. And I'm like, well. I also enjoy run-of-the-mill paranormal movies. Like some of my favorite ones are Paranormal Activity like that's fair but i feel like with like paranormal activity and stuff they kind of helped create the genre yeah that's true and then and then other movies just kind of follow it and it's not as fun yeah i see where you're going with that which actually ties into the movie we're going to talk about today hell house llc which is a found footage horror film i think of it like the Blair Witch Project is the one that kind of created that genre, and it happened during a time where, like, internet and stuff was very minimal, so a lot of people genuinely thought it was real and stuff like that, versus, you know, nowadays where you can't make a realistic found footage film anymore, not really, right. and uh, I think this movie helps prove that case. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited to hear about it. <laughs> Did you you said you watched the trailer? I did, right? yeah. It does look pretty like run of the mill found footage type of thing. Do you have any first impressions or guesses to what's gonna happen in the movie? Honestly, I don't. It just looks like they <laughs> go into a haunted house and they never leave. Which I mean oh. seems like the premise of the movie, so <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> So, as I said, it is a found footage horror film from 2015. It is directed and written by Stephen Cognetti, Joe Bandoli, and Matt DePaola. Uh, it was released as a video on demand, so there was no box office, um, though its first two public screenings were horror film festivals, where it did win a Best Paranormal Film Award. So, Oh, nice. That's awesome. It had pretty, pretty solid uh, reviews. Rotten Tomatoes critics was at a 75, audience was at a 72, IMDb was a 6.4 out of 10, and Letterboxd was a 3.2 out of 5. Okay, yeah, so pretty pretty much all around the same. Yeah, pretty average. Quick trigger warnings, there is suicide, there's clowns. There's a lot of clowns in this film, so if you don't like clowns, don't watch it at all. Um, murder, obviously. Paranormal shit, obviously. Also, satanic slash occult imagery, kind of. And then, um, huge epilepsy warning. There is so much, like, strobe light effects and shit like that in this movie. O- like, almost every scene. 
So if you have epilepsy, I wouldn't watch this movie because you're not going to make it through without something happening. Yeah, we don't we don't condone anything like that. Please don't. Please don't hurt yourself for a movie. <laughs> we don't condone you purposefully giving yourself seizures by watching an epileptic movie. I mean, that's why we give the trigger warnings and the epilepsy warning and stuff like that, right? Yeah. To let them know, like, hey, don't watch this movie because we don't want you to hurt yourself. I mean, fair. But still, <laughs> I like that it's like, please don't do that. <laughs> please, please no. It's like that old, old saying, like, doctor, it hurts when I do this. And the doctor's like, well, then don't do that. <laughs> That's so true, though. <laughs> so we have a pretty small cast. There's not a lot of people in the, in the film, honestly. We have, okay... His character's kind of shit, but his real name is is Baller. Ready? Paul is mm-hmm. played by Gore Abrams. Gore Abrams. Alrighty then. Gore. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know if he stars in any gory horror films. I hope so. His character <laughs> is the most bloody in this film, to be honest, though. Well, I guess it fits. Yeah. <laughs> Alex is played by Danny Bellini. Sarah is played by Ryan Jennifer Jones, which I love that name. It just, like, rolls off the tongue. Right. Tony is played by Jared Hacker. Andrew slash Mac. He's called Mac because his his character's last name is McNamara, Uh. so they all just call him Mac. Uh, He's played by Adam Schneider. Diane is played by Alice Balk. Robert is played by Theodore... I'm so sorry. This is going to be pronounced really bad. Blocus? Blocus? I think it's Greek. I don't know. I don't know how to say it. She said, I think it's Greek. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Martin is played by Jeb Krieger. Paul through Tony... No, sorry. Paul through Mac is like our main main cast. Mm -hmm. And then the last... Three are kind of side main characters. Oh, okay. So they only appear like a little bit. Yeah, because okay. the way this the way this movie is shot is it is found footage, but the movie itself is portrayed as a documentary about the found footage. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. So the three people at the end of the cast list are like the people being interviewed, the person running the documentary, shit like that. Oh, okay. I I got you. I got you. Yeah. So, couple fun facts. Um, the writer and director of this movie, Stephen Cognetti, actually has a uncredited part as the cameraman for Diane in the movie in the main oh. sequence of the film. And then another fun fact: that this film actually shot at a location of a real haunted house attraction in Layton, Pennsylvania, called the Haunting at the Ward. Waldorf Hotel. So they actually there actually is a haunt in an abandoned hotel that they film some scenes at and they base this off of. That's really cool. I love it yeah. when movies do that when they're able to film where like the plate where it's based off of. Super cool. Yeah, I agree. I think that's really awesome. You sure you sure you don't have any guesses other than haunted house? I mean, it's called Hell House, so the only other thing I can think of is that there's like a portal to hell in like the mm-hmm. basement or some shit. <laughs> But other than that, no. You know why it's called Hell House, LLC? No. Their company is called Hell House. 
That's terrible. <laughs> they are a company that creates haunted houses every year. And their hmm. company is Hell House LLC. And that's why the name of the movie is that. Interesting. <laughs> All right. So let's get into it. <laughs> So, as I mentioned before, this film combines found footage and documentary horror. So, as we're watching the movie, it's supposed to be us watching the documentary about this found footage. So, we get our introduction cards and it says, A documentary on the mysterious events surrounding the 2009 Halloween Haunted House tour tragedy. And it starts with this woman who we learn is Diane the documentary interviewer walking around the outside of this like obviously rough and tumble building and she's like weirdly starstruck and way too enthusiastic about it <laughs> like she's walk she's like she's passing by this like rotting iron fence and she like lavishly pets it oh. and then she's like walking around and pointing at the boarded up windows <laughs> and shit and just like grinning at her cameraman and I'm like girl what <laughs> calm down it's just it's just a house <laughs> it's just an abandoned building like why are you freaking out it cut away from there's a lot of cuts in this too because again documentary style so it's like we do found footage right and then quick cut to an interview and then oh uh, yep yeah so we cut to her interviewing martin clivers who's a journalist um she asked <laughs> she asks him what he thinks happened that night and he says i don't know <laughs> No, literally every single person in this fucking documentary says they don't know what happened and they don't think anyone ever will. It's like a theme. <laughs> oh my gosh. As soon as she as soon as she asks him and he says I don't know, it cuts to her interviewing a witness named Miranda who also says she has no idea what happened and she was in the house at the time it happened. Oh shit. That's not bueno. Yeah. So we cut back to they're still exploring the outside of the house and we see that they're unable to enter the hotel because all of the doors and windows and everything's like boarded up and locked up pretty tight. Quick cut to the news report from the night that everything happened, which we learned was opening night for the haunted house. So it wasn't on Halloween. Oh. It was on their opening night. I mean, of course it was opening night, though. Yeah. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> Robert, um... I forget his last name. She she interviews Robert a lot, but the only <laughs> the only accreditation they give him is that he's an author. Mm. But they don't say of what. <laughs> Just an author. That's it. Could be a book. Could be an article. Could be anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like interviewing an author for some fucking reason. <laughs> like it doesn't say if he's an author about the tragedy. Like nothing. It's just like author. Mm. <laughs> like. Uh, okay. Great descriptors. Cool. Great descriptors. <laughs> Love it. Another introduction card pops up that says October 8th, 2009, Haunted House opened doors in Abaddon, New York, just outside of New York City. And then the news report mentions that they're unsure if anyone from the Hell House company has survived. There's a lot of jumps. Sorry. <laughs> jump, jump back to she's. She finally found finds an unlocked door to the house and starts entering with, like, a big thunderstorm happening. And then they just cut away from that again. And she's interviewing people again. Oh, interesting. And, yeah, it's just constantly, like, cutting back and forth. And then... Whoever made the edits on <laughs> these tapes is terrible. Damn. Dude, it's so <laughs> <bad>. <laughs> 
And then the <laughs> I think she's talking to the journalist Martin again, and he goes, "Whenever somebody asks me what happens, I say you watch the video. You tell me." No, that was Robert, the author. He said that. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like it's like they're interviewing these people because they have some kind of expertise on the matter, right. and they just keep being like, "We don't know what happened. You watch the movie. <laughs> you tell me what happened." It's like, no, that's why you're here. That's the whole point. Just to tell me what the fuck. <laughs> that's the whole reason you're in this building right now. The hell? It's so funny. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. So now we're watching a video that was shot by a tour goer that uploaded the video to YouTube. Oh, shit. Uh, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, it starts off really normal with, like, you know, excited people chattering, waiting in line. You hear some screams coming from the haunted house, which is pretty fucking normal. Right, of course. They get inside the house. I just said, you'll see throughout the movie, they decorated this shit terribly. <laughs> oh. There's like, there's all the like fake cobwebs and shit everywhere. They have like, real, they just have really gimmicky decorations, like, dummies that are all bloodied up and like skulls everywhere mm. and like fake spiders on the walls and shit it's not scary oh they like went to party city and got this stuff type of thing yeah like it's not scary at all and even even the the people who are being recorded are like laughing <laughs> being like yeah this is weird <laughs> So they're following the crowd, which is heading down into the basement, and they suddenly see a clown rushing the opposite way of the crowd, like pushing through everyone going the opposite mm -hmm. way. And then suddenly a girl runs through the crowd and goes up these stairs that are off to the side. It's obvious that she works there, and we learn that that was Sarah. Oh, okay. Everyone in line is, like, really confused. The girl looks at the camera, and she's like, is that supposed to happen? And they're like, I don't think so. And then the guy recording the camera says, uh-oh, malfunctions on opening night. Uh-oh. Yeah, like, they don't they don't know anything's going on. They're just kind of like, well, this is weird. Right. Oh, well. They get to, like, the top of the basement stairs, and this is where we start seeing, like, the chaos starting. Just all of a sudden, like, all the people in front of them in line down at the bottom of the stairs are, like, screaming and signaling for everyone to turn around and, like, let them back up the stairs. They see another one of the workers who's speaking rapidly into a walkie-talkie. We'd learn that this is Mac later on. Oh, okay. And he leads them to an emergency exit. We see the couple with the camera literally, like, fall over in the kitchen when a bunch of other shit falls over. And then they manage to get outside where all these people are outside gathering, screaming, running around. There's sirens and, like, police and ambulances and fire trucks are all showing up. And it's just, just chaos. I was gonna say, absolute chaos. Yeah, and no one knows why they're running. Oh, of course not. Why would they? Well, because the people at the top of the stairs didn't see anything. Only mm. the people who were in the basement saw whatever freaked them out, and they were the ones ushering people to get the hell out of the way. Oh, I got you. The other thing that makes that scary is the fact that we learn that there is an exit in the basement. Oh. But people were refusing to go out that exit and were instead backtracking. Weird. Well, yeah, it makes you wonder, right? Yeah. Because they had set up the haunted house where the basement was, like, the last stop before you exited. Ah, uh, I got you. 
But we learn all that shit later. Oh, okay. So then we cut back to the news story. <laughs> There's so many cuts in the first half of this movie. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. We go back to the news story and we see them loading up, you know, like the covered dead bodies into the ambulances and stuff. Yeah. Miranda mentions a leaked 911 tape and says that that tape confused everyone even more than the video did. Oh. Mm-hmm. So then they start playing the le- the recorded 911 call, mm-hmm. and you can hear that the caller is panicked and crying, and she's saying she doesn't know what's happening, and then she kind of gets cut out with static before she suddenly starts yelling something about a wall. Oh, man. Yeah, like she's acting, not acting, she's like implying kind of that someone was like dragged into a wall or something like that. Like it's- Whoa. Yeah, but you can't actually hear exactly what she says because it just keeps getting all staticky. Oh, shit. Of course. But then, this is the only part that it's a little bit scary because <laughs> it's kind of a believable 911 call. She goes, please hurry. I don't want to die. Oh, no. Yeah. And then you hear this loud, like, deep moan mm-hmm. before the phone just cuts out completely. Oh, shit. That's... Yeah. No. I'm going to put that as the intro clip okay. because I feel like that's a really good pull into the movie yeah for sure is like hearing the words i don't want to die (laughs) (laughs) so then diane says that the deaths are being blamed on severe malfunctions but there's no actual confirmation about that oh yeah (laughs) of course not (laughs) yeah it's like conspiracy being blamed on malfunctions but no one can confirm or deny maybe it's a malfunction but i don't (laughs) i have no actual clue no way no way to tell you for sure but true but then when you see how these people died there's you can't mistake that for a malfunction i get what you're saying i get what you're saying (laughs) so i i just keep calling him author robert because (laughs) author robert (laughs) bothers me that he was just labeled author author of what I what need to you, know, damn it. What are what you is the author expertise? of? What is your accreditation? Why are you in this documentary? <laughs> it makes me so mad. <laughs> yeah, because people just aren't in documentaries. They have to have some type of accredi- accredi- accreditation. Yeah, like you have to be a witness or write a book about it or right. be a journalist. Like you have to be connected in some way. Yeah. You can't just do it (laughs) (laughs) author robert says uh, those two things the the youtube video and the leaked 911 call were the only information they had until the journalist martin clivers got inside the hotel to take pictures martin clivers says that the pictures raised questions but there's literally like nothing on those fucking pictures it that's why they raise questions (laughs) (laughs) no like like, he, he, he basically just keeps showing pictures of, like, bloody handprints and blood smears and stuff like that. But, like, that's to be expected based right. on what we know happened that night. So, what questions is it raising? Right, yeah. As far as I can see, the pictures are detailing exactly what I expected. Nothing more, nothing less. Yeah. And But then he mentions that the hardest part of the case was that was the silence because gag orders were put on literally everyone involved. Ooh. So no one was supposed to talk about it. Mm. 
Interesting. So like I said, it's literally just pictures of the place in disarray with like blood smears and trails. Uh, he says it debunks the gas leak theory that I guess was going around of how they all died. Mm. Which like, again, like, no duh. <laughs> of course it was a fucking gas leak. Right. Moron. Come on now. For some reason, he refused to go into the basement where seemingly like the epicenter of shit happened. Mm-hmm. And instead, he he stood next to the doorframe and held his camera out and just took pictures down the stairs. Oh my but gosh. He, he wouldn't even stand at the top of the stairs. Like, he, he, he was said hiding no. lots of big pictures. And I'm like, dude, it's just a basement. Like, right. relax. <laughs> Calm down. Just a basement. Chill out. And again, on his pictures, all you see on the basement are some, like, bloody handprints and, and smears. Like, right. nothing, like, scary, honestly. Interesting. So suddenly then we get another information card that says a member of Hell House, Sarah Havel, reached out to Diane and agreed to interview. And they then say she has not been heard from since the tragedy. Which my immediate reaction was... Why did Sarah reach out to Diane? Why didn't Diane reach out to her first? Right, yeah. And the news claimed that everyone that was part of Hell House died. And I was like, wouldn't she, like, have appeared, like, somewhere to indicate that she was alive? Like, a funeral for any of her murdered friends? A Facebook post that's like, hey, I survived. (laughs) Right, yeah, something along those lines. Like, damn, I mean, come on. Yeah. I was like, that doesn't make a lot of sense, but okay. So Diane starts interviewing Sarah, and we learn that she's been Sarah's been a member of Hell House since it started in 2002. She asks where Sarah's been since the tragedy, and she says, oh, just been with family, you know. <laughs> and like, sure, kid, okay. This sounds good. <laughs> yeah, right? And then she very eerily says, I'm in a better place now. That's a little concerning. No one who's alive says that. Right, yeah. Only dead people say that. <laughs> hmm. So, so you're like, hmm, that's not right. Right, yeah. <laughs> then Sarah begins talking about how she actually agrees with the town's decision to conceal what actually happened at the hotel mm-hmm. because she says it would have been too hard for people to deal with the truth. What does that mean? Yeah, for real. Like, how bad can the truth possibly be that? You can't handle the truth. (laughs) (laughs) You've got shark breath. (laughs) Shark bait. (laughs) (laughs) That's like three different movies. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) And so Diane's like, but bro, that's why you're fucking here, though, is to tell us what the hell happened. (laughs) Right, exactly. And for some, I just put... And for some fucking reason, Sarah just pulls out a giant sack of tapes. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Everybody gets tapes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so funny to me because it's like, she's like, um, I know I'm here and I could answer your questions, but instead here's like 30 cassette tapes in a sack. <laughs> Review them. Right, yeah. <laughs> here you go. <laughs> here, now you can watch it. Enjoy. And you can know what happened that night. Diane rightly asks how the fuck she has them instead of the actual police. True. And Sarah's like, I got to them first. (laughs) I mean, she makes his point. I said, tampering with evidence, (laughs) y'all? Also true. Like, 
I can understand if she agrees with the town decision to not, like, tell the entire public the truth, but you're really gonna hide evidence from the police at this point? Right. All your friends died. Are you sure that's what you want to do? I mean, the thought process I think she would have is that all my friends died. What are the police gonna fucking do? Because these tapes are the only things that show what's actually what actually happened there. And there is nothing the police can do, so why should they have them? Because it's still fucking evidence. You're not wrong, but it's not like it was some- It doesn't sound like it was someone living that did it. Or didn't look like it, anyway. That's just my opinion. That's fair. That's fair. I get what you're just saying, but uh, it's still evidence, Sarah. Okay. <laughs> uh, Diane starts having one of her associates going through the tapes, which is why we all of a sudden got get to see all of the like footage that we're about to see. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then she asks Sarah if she knows what's on the tapes, and Sarah says that she's never watched the tapes, but she knows that Hell House is on the footage. Mm. And what? <laughs> You're just like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I'm going to bring back. <laughs> <laughs> so now we get an intro card that says hell house footage august 23rd through october 8th of 2009 that's a long time it is they don't they don't do day by day obviously oh, okay. they just like show the quote-unquote important parts or whatever oh, i got you okay you'll also see that the documentary didn't do a lot of editing <laughs> <laughs> Because, like, they still show a bunch of parts that are completely unnecessary to anything happening, but that's fine. Oh, we love that. Yeah. No, they really should have stuck with one genre. Either it was found footage or it was a documentary. Right. <laughs> like, making it both, it, it kind of throws everything out of whack. It's a little rough. So we see all of them in the car. Paul and Sarah are playing some kind of movie trivia game. Uh, I said she's kind of dumb, and Paul calls her out for it. <laughs> okay, because he's asking her, I think he's asking her about Independence Day, mm-hmm. or I Am Legend, because he was asking about, like, a like an apocalyptic movie that came out with Will Smith in it. Oh, okay. So I'm thinking it was either I Am Legend or Independence Day. And she <laughs> starts talking about Hitch. Oh, of course. Of course. That's a good movie, though. <laughs> it is a good movie, but that has nothing to do with what they're doing. <laughs> Will Smith is a great actor, though. I, he is. I love Will Smith. You talk about you talk about how you love Nick Cage. Listen, that's how that's how I love Will Smith. Like, that's one of my favorite actors, bro. That's fair. I love Will Smith, too. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know if I could say that he's, like, a favorite favorite, but I've... Never disliked a movie he's in. I've never disliked him. Yeah. As a character. I get that. My favorite. I think my favorite movie of his, due to my mom having me watch it a billion times and we can literally quote the movie to each other, is I, Robot. Ah, that's a good one. Nobody judge me, but my favorite, and the one I can quote the most lines from, is Shark Tales. (laughs) (laughs) Who, in the halibut, trips underwater. (laughs) Dude, Shark Tales is a fantastic movie. I love it but so much. The line I the line I quote all the time is, I don't know what Bladley means, but I'm gonna get some coffee. You want some coffee? <laughs> you want some coffee? <laughs> that and then like a young Shia LaBeouf is also in that movie. Mm, yep. And every time he sees him, he's like, Stop cussing and go home. <laughs> 
I do love Will Smith. I appreciate him a lot. Yeah. I just don't have the same fever for him as I do for Nick <laughs> <laughs> I feel that. I feel that. But yeah, so after she starts talking about Hitch, she then asks if it's the movie uh, Escape from New York, which is a 1980s Kurt Russell film. <laughs> and Paul just goes, so everyone knows. <laughs> And I'm like, you know what? Call her out, Paul. <laughs> Call her fuck? out. Call that bitch out. I don't know what the fuck she's talking about, but fuck that bitch. <laughs> Andrew, who I said ref- is referred to as Mac all movie, so I'm going to call him Mac as well. Okay. Uh, is all pissed off and is a- asking if everyone just gave up on navigating. Yeah. And Paul is like, Alex has got it. And Alex is like, yeah, I got it. Calm down. But <laughs> then we we cut to them outside of the car arguing. <laughs> And we quickly learned that Alex is kind of like the leader. Mac seems like second in command and Sarah is dating Alex. Oh, okay. So they like drive past the Abaddon Hotel and they're talking about how this location they found is like perfect and it's creepier because they're almost in like the middle of nowhere rather than the middle of New York City. Mm-hmm. And we learn that Tony is like the electric slash effects guy and he's... He's bitching about how the fuck he's supposed to set up electricity for this giant abandoned place. Right. I mean, it's a logical thing to ask about. Right. Like, he's like, I when you said abandoned, I thought you meant, like, something that was foreclosed on a week ago, not a literally condemned place. <laughs> Which, I mean, fair. How would you even get electricity running in that bitch? I have no idea. Shit, the wiring's probably old as hell. Plus, probably. if it's abandoned, it might be chewed through from rats. Also true. Sarah, ever the intelligent woman, just goes, it smells like a sweater. It smells like a sweater. I love it. <laughs> it balls like, what? And she's like, <laughs> what? yeah, like an, like an old sweater. <laughs> and like, I get she was trying to say it smells musty. Oh, okay. But like, a sweater. A sweater. <laughs> You're like, okay. Okay. <laughs> sure, sure, Sarah. Whatever Sounds you good. think. So it literally says that they're 46 days before opening. Mm. And Mac is literally saying that they won't be able to have it set up by then. Well, get your shit moving. Let's go. <laughs> I, I wrote, but spirit stores literally get rented and set up within a week. Like, my dude, you're fine. <laughs> right. Come on. You can do it. I believe in you. I'm like, 46 days? That's over a month. You got plenty of time. I'm like, what do you mean you won't be able to set it up in time? Shut the fuck up. It'll be fine. So now we see them exploring around. Um, Paul is genuinely the cameraman for like 90%, 95% of this movie. Okay. Like the footage we're seeing 95% of the time is from Paul's hands. He's carrying the camera around. I don't remember why, but I also wrote, Paul is dumb. <laughs> Paul is dumb. Oh, okay. Maybe he's just a bad cameraman. No, he just says a lot of dumb things. <laughs> And we'll see that as we go along. But I don't know why specifically I wrote in this moment that he's dumb. But <laughs> <laughs> it's it's true. I just <laughs> right. don't remember why I said it. <laughs> so they find a random chain in the attic, which of course like comes back later. Of course. Because there's like, no, this chain is just like dangling from the attic ceiling. for, And it's just one chain just there. That's so weird. Yeah, and they, like, touch it, and they're like, that's odd. And I'm like, well, that's coming back later. Right, yeah, of course. 
he specifically mentioned one thing that's alone by itself that's coming back for something. Who knows? Right. But it's coming back. Exactly. So we can see that their walkies are getting a little bit messed up and, like, staticky mm-hmm. throughout the house. Maybe this is why I said he's dumb. Because Paul just kind of swings the camera around when he's walking without, like, any kind of care. <laughs> like, it's so messy. <laughs> It's definitely an attempt to make a found footage look like a found footage. Absolutely. And while they're walking past this bedroom, um, the camera like catches what seems to be a cloaked figure in the corner of the room. Mm. And so this is this is where I start saying that making it both found footage and a documentary is kind of rough. Right. Because in the found footage part, it went by so fast that you didn't really see it. In the documentary part... They screenshotted it and zoomed in and then lingered on it with ominous music for, like, a minute. Oh, and that's okay. way too long. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make you feel scared. Yeah, I feel. I see what you're saying. It needed to be in the middle of both of those things. Yeah. No, definitely. And that keeps happening throughout the film, where, like, something scary will happen, but it'll be too fast to catch in the, in the found footage. You have to, like, pause it to see it. Mm. Or... That it'll get screenshotted by the documentary crew, and then they'll just linger on it for way too long, and they're not even capturing the most interesting or scary parts. Ah, I see what you're saying. So now they go to the basement. We see that there's, like, chalked... I think it's chalk, because it's all, like, white on brick. Right. So I I think it's chalk. But there's, like, numbers and writings and pentagrams and shit all along the walls. And Alex was talking about how he wants to set up these clowns down there. Mm-hmm. But, like, he's ju- he- <laughs> it's not scary. Because all he basically wants to do is have these, like, mannequin dummy clowns just sitting against a wall. But, yeah, that's not scary. They're just sitting. Yeah. I was like, oh, scary. <laughs> Ooh, I'm so scared. Yeah. I'm like I'm like I don't like clowns to be honest. I don't have like a phobia, but I don't really like them. But even right. I would just be like this is dumb. <laughs> the only reason I don't like clowns is from 2016, but we're not going to talk about that. That's fair. Mine's <laughs> from childhood. Understandable. They mentioned something about Alex mentioned something about them have having had it worse in Queens, to which Tony is like eh, eh, eh. we said we'd never speak of Queens again, bro. Ooh. Yeah. What happened in Queens? What does that mean? <laughs> I want to know what happened to Queens. Right, right? But they, we don't know. They never tell us. These motherfuckers. <laughs> they also, in the basement, find a bunch of Bibles and candles in a circle on the floor. Hmm. Yep. And the, it, it, like... <laughs> both Paul and Sarah are like, this is weird. And Alex is like, all hotels have Bibles. And she's like... In the basement on the floor? (laughs) That's weird. That's suspicious. (laughs) Alex is like, all all hotels have Bibles. God, why are you freaking out? I'm like, when are they in a ritual circle in the basement surrounded by candles and chalk writing? (laughs) Right, yeah, that's a little creepy. They also find like a random suitcase down there. And then Paul finds this dirty ass high heel. Mm. and tries to hand it to sarah and is like what shoes you wear sweetheart and she's like get the fuck away from me i wouldn't want a dirty ass high heel either what the fuck no Not to mention from my basement and looking at what you're looking at fuck no bro fuck that's no. terrifying yeah the woman in that high heel shoe is dead uh, <laughs> yeah for real she's for sure dead so probably somewhere in that in that hotel to be honest 
Probably. <laughs> Sarah's like, hey, Alex, the guy that rented you this place, didn't he say it's been closed for like 30 years? And Alex is like, yeah. And she's like, well, why was it closed down? And Alex just completely evades the question and tells her not to worry about it. <laughs> Don't worry about it. That sounds like something I should worry about. <laughs> Alex is very suspicious in this movie. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Because <laughs> every time they have a qualm, a he's qualm? like, nah, a qualm. What a is query? I was a like, qualm. what is a qualm? I've never heard that term. <laughs> Anytime they raise any questions, Alex is like, nah, it's fine. <laughs> It'll be fine. Don't stress. Yeah. So, back to the interview. <laughs> back to the interview. Sarah says it, take, it took Tony and Paul about a week to get electricity going through the hotel. And then they started staying overnight in the hotel once electricity was on. So now we are 30 days before opening night. They're talking about a previous haunt. They're talking about... Disney princesses that they weren't able to scare, and Paul says that he was dressed as the Puss Slayer, <laughs> as he is every week. <laughs> every week? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> For those who haven't seen this movie, Paul is kind of gross. <laughs> oh, God. He's got that, like, I don't even know how to fucking describe it. <laughs> He he's just like a he's a classic looking neck beardishes guy mm. who's like just disgusting the whole movie. Love it. And I don't <laughs> I, I say it somewhere I don't know where, but I was like I kind of hate to say it, but Paul kind of looks like my ex. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Because <laughs> because there's a lot of scenes that take place where he's like in his like in his bed. About, like, just woke up or about to fall asleep and he's mm. recording something. And I was just looking at him on the bed and I was like, he looks like my ex. <laughs> Gross. And I was like, oh, fuck. I hate that. Dude. It's probably the so worst much. part about watching movies sometimes. Because then you're like, oh, God, no, I don't. Uh, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And then, so basically, it's just them sitting around, like, fucking around and drinking a beer at the bar. Just, like, hanging out, mm. being a little gang. And again, it's like, to me, in in the view of this is a documentary, mm. there was no reason to include that scene. Right. Whatsoever. I see what you're saying. So it's it's weird because if it had been purely found footage, it would make sense to see all of these random parts that don't matter. Right. But because it was a documentary, it should have been more refined. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, I see what you're saying. They toast to keeping Hell House fresh. Whatever the fuck that It's means. abandoned, but fresh, for sure. Well, no, the company. Hell House the company. Oh. <laughs> I keep thinking about the house itself, dude. The house is not. The house is called the Abaddon Hotel. I know it's a hotel. I just keep thinking about it being a house. <laughs> Confuses me. It looks like a house, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a B&B. &B. It's not necessarily a hotel. It kind of it seems like it. I don't, uh, we okay. don't know anything. <laughs> We don't actually. I need explanations. No, we get like okay. rumor. <laughs> we get rumors and ghost stories about the hotel, but we never actually get a clear backstory on it. Oh, I love it. Yeah, but there's two other movies, so oh, maybe uh, they explain. <laughs> maybe if we're lucky. So now we see that Paul and Tony have got a bunch of cameras set up around the hotel, and we learn that for some reason the cameras and the walkies aren't working in the basement, and they decide that. 
they're going to hire like a big buff actor to be their eyes downstairs since that's where the exit will be. And also the chained up girl. Right. Can't just not have visual down there. Have someone watch the, the girl who can't save herself. Correct. We learned that Alex is cheap as fuck and doesn't want moving props this year. How is that going to be scary if nothing's moving? That's what I said. I was like, bro, <laughs> it's just a, a ton of shitty dummy props at this point. Like, there's nothing scary. Right. Absolutely nothing scary. What the fuck? And even the live actors, they're not scary at all either. Of course not. Like, they have one dude who's, like, standing there with an axe and he's like, Ugh. <laughs> He's just got, like, some blood on his face. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> the the woman he tries to scare just kind of looks at him and laughs. And I was like, yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> same bro so this is this this is when paul decides to do his first interview with the, the not interview with diane but like interview with the camera he's been carrying around right in his bed while wearing boxers only and this is when i said i hate to say that he looks like my ex <laughs> <laughs> there it is <laughs> and of course they framed the partially opened door like doorway directly in the middle background right behind him with like a casual red glow to it. Right. Of course. Yeah. Paul is bitching about having to stay there like overnight and how Sarah's the only chick in the house and won't sleep with him because Alex won't share and blah, blah, blah. And how he won't be able to fuck anybody. I mean, it doesn't sound like I'd want to sleep with him either. So <laughs> I said he's disgusting. Gross. He, so he's saying all this to the camera and we suddenly see a woman walk into the room behind him. We can't see features really, just an outline. And we also can see that she has very frizzy, large hair. Looks nothing like Sarah's hair. Okay. Which is like a very straight, just straight, straight and long. And so Paul's just talking and then suddenly in the middle of him discussing... In the middle of him discussing how maybe he'll bone one of the actors that are getting hired, <laughs> he finally realizes that there's someone behind him. So he turns around and he thinks it's Sarah, because Sarah's the only girl right, of, course. of the troupe. And he's like, hey, Sarah, what's up? And then she doesn't respond. He goes, you sleepwalking? And she doesn't respond. And he's like, you okay? And then she walks out of the room. He just looks at the camera and goes, that's fucking weird. <laughs> that's fucking weird yeah let's not don't take two seconds to think about what the hell just happened just i cool and i want to insert a clip of that scene because it's just funny to me that he's like you sleepwalking you good that's fucking weird sarah you cool what you sleepwalking that's fucking weird oh so then we cut to the next day scummy pervert paul sneaks up to sarah and alex's room in the morning to get a shot of sarah's ass and panties of course of course like, he, he literally fucking zooms on it and everything. But he apparently came up to tell Alex that the actors are here. And we meet the actors, Joey, Melissa, and Sam. Oh, okay. He then is, like, Paul is then on the balcony and, like, zooms in on Melissa because he's gross. Right. Melissa just keeps, like, glancing at the camera, like, why are you staring at me, bro? <laughs> Can you not, bro? Yeah. Cue back to interviewing. And we're talking to the journalist, Martin, again, who says he was able to interview one of the first responders from the night in question under complete anonymity. And they said that the first responders said that the first body they came across when they entered the crime scene was a Hell House member, but they couldn't say which one hmm. that seemed to have a self-inflicted throat wound. Oh, damn. Self-inflicted shit. Yeah. 
So you're like, oh, okay. Right. And then they shoot, they show like B-roll of the like little happy Scooby Scooby gang. (laughs) I was going to call him the Scooby gang earlier and I was like. If you have, if you have more than three members in your gang, you're the Scooby gang. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It's what you are to me. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's the only thing you get referred to as. That's it. Nothing else. Even Mm -hmm. if you have a group name, Scooby gang. That's it. Yeah. That's all you get. And then on the documentary side, we hear them start discussing the actor, Joey, mm-hmm. one of the actors we just met, and how he was in the basement at the time of the incident, but actually made it out alive. But even though he made it out alive, he refused to discuss the incident with anybody and then hung himself nine days later. Oh, that's unfortunate. It must have been not a good time. Yeah. So, so far, they're they're claiming that other than Sarah, who they've literally been interviewing... Mm-hmm. Pretty much anyone who worked in Hell House is dead at this point. Mm, love that. She's all alone. All by myself. Don't wanna be. <laughs> I like that you like paused and you're like, dude. <laughs> well, I was trying to think of a different one. I'm all alone. There's no one here beside <laughs> me. How about a. I'm so lonely. <laughs> I've got nobody to call my own. Alright, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> A little musical break. It's fine. It's fine. We're now 19 days to opening. Wow. Paul continues to be a perv. Of course. And is talking to Melissa and asking if she's nervous about taking her top off, which... Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I wrote... I would literally dick punch this dude. <laughs> I was thinking about throat punch, but yeah. <laughs> like, he's so annoying. Alex is trying to calm Melissa down about her role and is just saying, like, she's the main part and that she's literally right before the exit, which makes no sense to me. Right. Why the fuck would the main part of your scare be the last part? I want to build up the anticipation, I guess. But that feels... I don't know. I don't really like haunted houses, so I couldn't tell you for sure. That's fair. But it's like you get that last final scare and then you walk out of the haunted house and you're just like, oh, okay, it's over. Maybe whatever they have planned is just supposed to leave such a lasting effect that that's that. You know what I mean? All they have planned is to have Melissa chained up in the basement and then the fucking clown sitting against the wall. Mm, Yeah, you're right. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe in their eyes, what they're thinking is going to seem like that's what they think. It's going to be so scary. I think they're dumb. They are dumb. (laughs) I mean, you're not wrong. Never said you were wrong. (laughs) So he talks about how she's going to be the damsel in distress. And of course, she's like, "Uh, no one's going to touch me or anything, right? He's like, no, no, no. We're going to have Joey down in the basement with you to watch over you. It's kind of like protection and security. Mm Mm-hmm. So Melissa asks why they're filming everything, and Alice, Alex is like, oh, you know, it's, like, good for fans, and we like to have records for next year and shit like that. Mm-hmm. And then Paul jokingly says he's trying to catch a ghost on camera, <laughs> to which Melissa replies, oh, you've heard the rumors about this place. Ah, uh, of course. Alex immediately tries to brush it off for some reason. Because Paul right away is like, what rumors? And Alex is like, no, nothing, nothing. And then he like glares at Melissa. So Alex knows the rumors and nobody else does. 
Right, it seems pretty obvious that he's hiding something, right. but we really don't know what. So then Melissa says that the owner of the hotel supposedly hung himself in the hotel. That's not... And Paul is like, why the fuck didn't you tell us this? And Alex says that he didn't tell them because it's a story, a rumor. There's um, no proof that it happened. Of course. So then Paul asks Melissa uh, if they've heard stories of the guy who owned the hotel being satanic or anything because of all of the shit they found in the basement. Mm-hmm. And Melissa goes, I thought you guys did that. Like, she literally thought that all the demonic shit in the basement was them having already started setting up for the haunt. I mean, understandable why she thought that. That stuff is probably creepy as hell. Yeah. Alex is looking hella pissed, and he's definitely hiding something. He continues to just vehemently deny any kind of haunted history or anything having happened at the hotel. Which... To me, doesn't make any sense, because if you're the boss of a haunted house, you think that, like, this, you think he'd be psyched that this building already had, like, a really spooky history to it. Right. That they could incorporate into their haunted house. Yeah. Instead of, like, trying to hide it. We cut back to the journalist, um, Martin, who mentions that we will never know why the hotel shut down. Why the hell has crew set up there 20 years later, or what happened to Andrew Tully? But I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> You're a journalist. What do you mean? <laughs> it's your job to find this information out. Right, so. yeah. You're supposed to find this out so that way you can tell the world what happened so we all know. Exactly. Well, suddenly he's dropping these bombs on us. Like, he's like, I don't think the hell has crew knew anything about Andrew Tully the missing guests, why he built the hotel in Abaddon in the first place. Damn. And you're like... Well, do you have that information? Like, come on. Yeah, you're like, you're like, what kind of conspiracy shit is this? <laughs> Give me the information, bro. Come on. Well, now author Robert author is Robert. actually here. F- <laughs> author <laughs> Robert is actually here for something, finally, because he tells us that the story is that Andrew Tolley built the place in Abaddon because in some religious texts, Abaddon is the demon that guards the gateway to hell and that Tolley was a cult leader. Ah, interesting. There is no proof that any of that is true. <laughs> but that's the ghost story around town. Mm, we, love, we love a good conspiracy theory about ghosts. Correct. So then uh, Diane asks the journalist Martin, what happened to the guests? Because he said missing guests. Mm. And he says that there were a few, but the first one and the most famous one was an 11-year-old girl and her mother who both disappeared that had last been seen at the Abaddon Hotel. And he says that Andrew Tolley was questioned multiple times, but he showed proof that they had checked out. Mm. So he was cleared. And author Robert. Author Robert. he says that the rumors completely destroyed business and then he said within four months of that incident Tully hung himself in the dining room of the hotel jesus four months seems like a short period of time that's what i'm saying i was like four months jesus dude did you even try to have like a a ball to get your like hotel back and running should have given yourself a little bit more uh opportunity there friend yeah so now it's 16 days before opening we're back in the basement and we see the clown dummies all lined up against the wall 
I said, to be fair, they're wearing, like, creepy fucking masks, mm-hmm. but, like, otherwise they're just stationary dummies and they're really not scary. How are you supposed to be scared by a stationary dummy? I mean, I guess I get scared by inanimate objects, but that's if I come around the corner, I'm not prepared for it to be there. But if it's just leaning against a wall, I don't know. That's fair. I was going to say that there is a phobia of mannequins. Mm, that's true. You're right. You're right. So that would scare yeah. someone, but it not most people. Paul once again asks about Melissa being topless, to which Alex says, why don't you go and ask her? And Paul replies, I love you too much for a lawsuit. <laughs> and then we learn that the clown in the middle, which is wearing a white and black polka dot suit with huge, like, overdrawn mm-hmm. lips, and it's bleeding out of its eyes. Mm, no thanks, I'm good. <laughs> and they're showing that mm-hmm. its head cannot move or rotate from that position it's like locked in place Mm. this of course is importante for later of course of course (laughs) (laughs) so paul is back in his room and he obviously just woke up and says he heard a strange noise and decides to investigate he meets up with tony mac and alex at the top of the basement stairs tony and mac both agree that they heard something akin to a scream that like woke them up and of course alex denies hearing anything in which case they're like then how did we all wake up at the same time? Right, yeah. Alex tries to blame Tony and Max, saying they woke him up, which... Bullshit. Alex, no. You're wrong. You're hiding something. X to doubt. Obviously hiding something, because Max then suggests that they leave the cameras on at night to film just in case, and Alex just keeps going, no. X to doubt. <laughs> You're like, bro. Spam that X button. <laughs> yeah. So now we cut to, like, they're in the kitchen, it's fucking leaking, they're planning the haunt and everything. Um, Even though Alex is in charge, it's pretty obvious that Mac does the majority of the, like, actual business stuff, because he's the one talking to the actors about getting contracts signed and waivers and shit like that. Uh And Alex just keeps blowing that stuff off, of course. (laughs) Alex sounds like a douchebag, so... I was gonna say, I couldn't actually tell you what Alex (laughs) does for this company. Uh, he's the resident douchebag, didn't you know? <laughs> I guess. It <laughs> sounds about right. Oh my god, okay. This this part isn't gross, but it skews me out because I don't like eye things. But it's like nothing bad. But um, Paul asked Joey to do this eye thing for the camera. And Joey literally reaches into his, what is it called? Eye socket. Oh. Reaches into his eye socket and holds his eyeball, oh, no. his whole eyeball, between his thumb and forefinger outside of the outside of his eyelid. Can you not? That's gross. <laughs> no. Yeah. So it's like actually slightly popped out, but like not like to not like damaged popped out or anything. That's so gross. And fun fact: the actor that played Joey can actually do this. So he really did that. It's not a prosthetic. Ew. It's not CGI. He really can do that. Some people are just gross, dude. I said it makes me queasy. <laughs> yeah, for real. My God. It's like it's like it's not like there's no blood. It's not. It's not even really gross. It's just like right. ew. Like it's just like yeah, don't please, do that. No. I just no, don't. Not. <laughs> don't hurt That's yourself. That's not supposed to be there and, or do that. <laughs> no. Yeah, but of course all the guys are like, it's so cool, bro. Right, of course. (laughs) I'm like, no. (laughs) So now Paul is like wandering through the partially set up haunted house, just like making jokes to himself. You know, like there's 
a mannequin that's hanging and he's like, how's it hanging, bro? <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. Being a dork. <laughs> uh, we learn that Sarah and Alex went into town to get some more supplies. Mac is on a chaise lounge. Mm, love it. I. It's not a couch. It is absolutely a chaise lounge. <laughs> Reading. And then he, he says Tony is just like around, just doing something. He's just there somewhere. Also, I don't think I mentioned it, but according to the movie, uh, where they are in Abaddon, they're about 40 minutes from New York City. Oh, okay. So, Paul goes, like, searching around for Tony. He's going through all the, like, main hallways and rooms of the attraction, which, of course, are going to come back later. And all of a sudden, he finds that bloody-eyed polka dot clown standing at the top of the stairs staring down staring down the stairs mm, that's not terrifying of course not <laughs> <laughs> so he immediately he's like he's like what the fuck and he like has the camera peer down the basement stairs like what are you looking at before it turns back to the clown whose head is suddenly swiveled to be staring at paul is this the one that doesn't move all th- all three clowns heads don't move mm. So, no matter which clown it is, but it's always the polka dot clown, your head shouldn't be moving. I mean, also true, yeah, but I know you had mentioned one of them, at least one of them, like, just doesn't move, like, it's stuck. Yeah, no, all three of the clowns' heads are stuck like that, but they specifically mention the polka dot clown guy, because he's the one who pops up all the time. I got you, I got you. Yeah, so immediately you know we remember that the clown heads aren't capable of moving and paul is like what the fuck and he thinks it's tony like playing a prank with him like tony put on the costume or something Mm -hmm. and he's like he's like yeah whatever bro and just kind of walks away well he walks back to where mac was and tony is there sitting on the couch or the lounge lounger with mac yeah and paul's like what the fuck, what the fuck, what the fuck, like, no way, like, there's no way you're here. Right. Because he literally just left the clown, like, 30 seconds ago. It didn't take him that long to get back to that area. Right. And he's like, there's no way that Tony beat him back to Mac while also getting rid of the clown costume and shit like that. Yeah, no. So, Paul fucking hightails it back to the basement stairs to find that the clown is gone. Oh. Oh. It's not at the top of the stairs anymore. And he, he, Tony, and Mac all go downstairs to see that the clown is in his normal position with the rest of the other clowns. Well, that's not creepy. Yeah, like up against the wall with its head the correct way. and Yeah. And Paul thinks that maybe it's Alex who's fucking around with him because that's like the last person left. Mm. And he like t- starts tapping on it, but it's obviously just like a normal dummy. Right. And so the guys are like, Jesus, Paul, like, calm the fuck down. He's like, no, like, it fucking moved. Like, what the fuck? So he has all of them watch the footage. So they're all in the security camera room watching the footage. Yeah. And we don't see the footage again. We're just watching their reactions. But we hear the footage and we can hear exactly when he sees the clown. He's like, what the fuck? And then he peers down. And then when he reappears, looks at the clown again and the head's moved. Uh And... When they see that the heads move, both Tony and Sarah are kind of like, whoa, what the fuck? But Mac immediately, like, believes that Paul did this somehow and is, like, pulling a prank on them. Oh, my gosh. Of course. And he's like, he's like, wow, how'd you do it, Paul? How'd you do it? Why would you do this? And Paul is like, bro, why the fuck would I do this shit? No, for real. 
Why? Why? Why yeah. would he? Like, what the fuck? That's terrifying. He's like, even if I was pranking you, why the fuck would I act like this, dude? Like, yeah. he's like, no, I'm freaked out. But of course, no one believes him. Of course, because of course. And then they start, <laughs> they start shooting a commercial with some of the bloody dummies like out at the edge of the forest because. Paul says he doesn't want to take a commercial of the inside and accidentally give away scares and they're not completely set up yet and stuff like that. Right. Which is actually smart yeah. on Paul's side. For sure smart. So, so like, one brownie point <laughs> oh, no. for Paul. Just one. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he's like, he's like, Tony, Tony, look at this. And the camera pans over to Sarah standing just zombie-like staring at this statue. Oh. Oh. At the edge of the forest. Oh, we love Just that. not moving. That's great. Yeah. And they're like, Sarah, you okay? And she just turns around and just skips back to them like nothing happened. No, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're 11 days till opening. Oh, okay, so getting closer, but not... Yeah. Not quite there, but we're getting closer. Mm-hmm. So they're showing a preview of the haunt. So Tony is locking Paul up in this long hallway that's filled with, like, cobwebs, fake spiders, and dummies, Mm -hmm. which they call the dummies freaks for some reason. Mm, Love that. No. Yeah. I don't know why. (laughs) But okay. It's not weird at all. Yeah. So Tony locks him in, and this starts the, the big epileptic light show because it's just strobe lights. Oh, God. I hate That's the only lights. lighting in this scene is strobe lights. I hate strobe lights. And that's that's not the reason I hate haunted houses, but in general I hate haunted houses. Strobe lights suck because sometimes they'll give me a headache. Yeah. But. That's fair. Well, this whole scene whole scene is shot with just strobe light. Mm, love it. It it it's kinda hard. It is hard to watch because you're just kinda like you're like, what is happening? <laughs> So the whole, so it's kind of hard to see, but basically Paul starts freaking out because he confirms with Tony that there should only be three freaks in the hallway, but he keeps seeing another one popping up in between strobes. Mm. This man about to die. <laughs> um. So Paul starts freaking out and is like banging on the door, demanding Tony let him out and shit like that. Yeah. He and he, the camera's kind of by his side, like recording, like kind of like behind him. Mm. And finally, he manages to get the door open and he, like, dashes out of there and throws up in the hallway. Oh God. Um. It's it's really not. It's more. It's very watery. It's almost like he just spat water out of his mouth okay. more than anything. Okay. It's really not. Yeah. Um, but supposedly they say that the actor Gore uh, actually did throw up for the scene. Mm. But again, it's just like very watery and like. Right. It, he definitely in real life, he definitely didn't throw up because he was scared. There was nothing to be scared of. But maybe he got overheated or something. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I just think that's a weird fact that they include. Yeah, that is kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, they're like, yeah, this guy really threw up. And I'm like, and I should care because... And I care why? I've, I've thrown up in my life. Should I be proud of that fact? <laughs> I hate throwing up. Fuck that. Dude, I fucking hate throwing up. <laughs> it's the worst. So, luckily for us, who like couldn't tell what the fuck was happening during the strobing, because... uh. 
Yeah. <laughs> the documentary puts up these two screenshots from the video, a before and after kind of thing, where we can see, we can see, like, the shot where it's just the normal hallway, and then the shot with the extra figure in the hallway. And we also see, while Paul was, like, freaking out and trying to get the door unlocked, we see the robed figure moving towards him down the hall. Oh, uh, okay. So... Now they're all out in the yard arguing about it. <laughs> because Paul Paul at this point's really fucking freaked out. Of he's not he okay with any he's getting the brunt of it. Right, yeah. Like poor Paul. Like <laughs> he's really not doing so well. And uh Alex, of course, tells him to shut up. Of course. Yep. Because he doesn't want the actors to hear and like because they're not that far away from he's like they're like two weeks away. He's like mm-hmm. we're not that far away from the opening night, you really want to scare our actors away. Oh my gosh. And I was like, care about something more than money, maybe. Right, yeah, for real, though. <laughs> because actual scary things are happening around here, you know? Like, it's not just... <laughs> yeah. But okay. Paul is fucking pissed off, so he leaves, which, same, I'd fucking storm off at this point, too. Like, Right, totally understandable. Like, all this scary shit is happening to me. No one fucking believes me. No one's helping me. I'm out. Right. Bye. Bye. Deuces. <laughs> we cut to our author Robert. He's back. Author Robert. He says, <laughs> he says Alex was against himself and for whatever reason he chose for being at the hotel, he believes he did it with the best interest for the company. And to me, that again implies that, like, something bigger was going on that Alex was in on. Right. And then Robert continues to explain that, like, the crew was just, like, Alex was the leader and the crew was loyal to him. Sarah had been his girlfriend for many years. Mac was his childhood friend. Tony and Paul were his first-time hires. Mm. And the way he describes it, he's he's almost like trying to describe their group as cultish themselves. Ooh, interesting. Like, like Alex is the leader and they they just follow his every word kind of thing. Right, yeah. I don't think that's true, though. I think that's just... We, we, we're close to getting to this part, but there's a part where I, I say my theory on why I think Alex is acting weird. Yeah. And it actually has nothing to do with the history of the hotel. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So we'll get to that. Okay. I think I think Alex actually has a very legit reason to be acting really weird. And um, he didn't actually know what was about to happen at the hotel. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. So... Sudden cut to the floor of Paul's bedroom where he hears something again. His door is open, and when he peeks out his door down the stairs, we once again see the polka dot clown standing at the bottom of the stairs staring up at him. Mm. This polka dot clown is the main villain (laughs) of the story. It's fucking everywhere. No, thank you. (laughs) Tony shows up and is like, dude, are you fucking with me again? Okay, so I... So... Sorry. I wrote Tony for the next couple of lines because the subtitles say Tony. Mm. It's actually Mac. Oh, okay. I don't know why it says Tony. It's actually Mac. That's weird. Um, which I realized after they zoomed in on his face and then Paul shouted Mac. And I was like, yeah. it's not even Tony. What the fuck? So Mac shows up and is like, dude, are you fucking with me again? And Paul, you know, vehemently denies that he's doing anything right. and just keeps saying like, bro, I was fucking asleep. Yeah. I just woke up to this. I was asleep, bro. Damn. <laughs> and they approach the dummy, which Mac taps and shows that it's just a mannequin. So Mac starts dragging it back, like, towards the basement, mm-hmm. 
when they find Sarah is in one of these side rooms, just standing there facing a wall in the pitch black. And it says that she's mumbling a foreign language, but it literally sounds like some like someone sped up speaking backwards. Sounds terrifying. Yeah. So they try to pull like a Blair Witch mm, kind of thing. I got you. So they, they're they like, uh, Sarah, <laughs> you, you okay, girl? Right. So they wake her up, and as soon as they wake her up, she begins just, like, freaking out and crying, and Max trying to tell her, like, you're okay, it's okay, you're in the basement, like, you're fine. Yeah. And then they turn around, and when they turn around, Paul sees that where they had just left the clown to go grab Sarah, the clown's gone again. Of course it's gone again. This motherfucking clown, dude. (laughs) So now all three of them are pretty terrified, and they're trying to like make their way back to the rest of the housing they're like sneaking around corners and shit like that and they they get to the dining room and it's all in disarray like it usually is they like turn around for i swear to god like half a second Uh and then they hear a grandfather clock chime so they turn back around and now the dining room is immaculately laid out like beautifully set up dining area with cutlery tablecloth a a candelabra like everything and and the grandfather clock in the corner which was definitely not how it looked like 0.06 seconds before oh my gosh so even more they're like oh fuck yeah for real you you might be fucked bro like that's that yeah so they all run out of there just to find that the clown dummy is now in their way behind them where Mm -hmm. he wasn't of course literally like a minute before right so <laughs> the ghosts in this house just be fucking with y'all. <laughs> They're like, oh, you wanted to come make a joke about this being an abandoned hotel? Fuck you. Gotta terrify the hell out of you. Fuck that. True. So they bolt upstairs. <laughs> um, so Paul is outside recording Alex comforting Sarah. And then we jump back to Paul's room and we see the perfectly, you know, placed door with the red light in the background. Right, of course. We now learn that it's three days till opening. Mm. And he's talking about how he looks a little haggard. First of all, he looks a little rough. He looks a little haggard. And he talks about how everyone is stressed out and he doesn't think that they should be here. But Alex is just getting more confident than ever. But Sarah is starting to look a little off, too. Mm, That's no bueno. Yeah. So he says all of this. He says, that's all for me. And then he turns the camera off. Suddenly the camera comes back on. And it's pitch black except for that red light in the doorway. And we hear like a screeching sound. Mm. Paul wakes up and turns on the light. And we see a woman sitting against, like slumped against the wall. In a white nightgown with blood all over her face. Oh, yes. That's that's a perfect way to wake up. I love it. (laughs) Well, Paul doesn't realize she's there because he's facing the camera and she's behind, behind beside him, basically. So he's like yawning and like stretching. And then he goes to grab the camera and that's when he sees her and he dives under the cover freaking out. Because everyone's classic go-to bedroom move is if I can't see you, you can't see me. (laughs) The blankets are safe place. (laughs) that's all that matters for real (laughs) so of course he's got the camera under the cover with him so what does he do well he peeks out through the covers and the woman is still there but now she's staring directly at him with her dead wide eyes so he hides again and then he uses the camera zoom while still hiding 
and opens the covers again. So now we see a close-up of her staring at him. It's almost like those videos where, like, the cat's behind the wall where you, like, look out and the cat's far back. You go behind the wall. You come back out again and the cat's closer. You go behind the wall. You come out again and the cat's right in your fucking face. No, I'm good. (laughs) Yeah. Correct. That's literally it. Because as he zooms in and peeks at her again, we see her, like, get up and start moving. Also, I said, I paused on the close-up of her face, and she really doesn't actually look, like, really creepy or anything, to be honest. Because she has, like, like small cuts on her face and stuff that are kind of bloody. Oh, but okay. And then her white eyes are very obviously contacts. <laughs> but, like, nothing else looks scary about her. And so then, like, he's under the covers again. We hear heavy breathing, creaking, and then, like, maybe a soft snarling. He peeks again, and, of course, she's at the bedside, directly staring into the camera. And they're screaming, and then the camera cuts to stop. Oh, yes. So now, Tony picks up the camera in Paul's room. We see that the light is still turned on, but knocked over. The room is empty. His flannel shirt is, like, lying on the floor, has a little blood on it. And Tony is talking to Alex and Mac, like, bro, Paul wouldn't just leave, like, two days before the show. Like, he's not just going to disappear without a word. Mac brings up that four years ago, Paul had missed two whole shows without notice. And Tony is like, bro, that was that was four years ago. Are you really going to hold this against him? Yeah. And Mac is like, do you really think he'll change? And I'm like, he has shown four years of consistently being there. <laughs> if I would... I would think give him a little benefit of the doubt. Right, yeah. Like, I was gonna say, four years seems pretty consistent to me, if you ask me. Yeah. Tony's getting pissed off. He's like, Paul literally helped me set up, like, half the cameras and shit. He's done half the work to get this shit running. Like, he's not a fuck-up. He didn't just fucking leave. And then Tony's like, did either of you even bother to call him? And, like, try and find him at all? And they both go, no. No, no, I just didn't want to worry about trying to find him. It's fine. And Max says, I don't even think I have Paul's number. (laughs) (laughs) They've been working together since 2002. Seven years. How do you not have the person's number, bro? I don't know. They're such assholes. So Tony tosses his phone to Alex and they attempt to call Paul, which the phone rings a couple of times and does pick up. But then all of a sudden, this, like, really high-pitched screaming comes out of the phone and startles Alex, so he drops the phone, causing it to break. Hmm. That's unfortunate. So, Alex brushes it off. Because, <laughs> obviously, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with Paul. And just leaves. And Mac is like, oh, what the fuck? And goes after him. And Tony is like, bro... Bro, what the fuck? <laughs> like, like Paul's phone answers and there's just a scream. And they're just like, eh, moving on. So cut to nighttime again and we hear the piano playing and Tony wakes up with the camera. He peeks out the door to see Mac is just standing there at the top of the stairs listening to the piano. And they both confirm that they hear it. So they go downstairs to investigate. Uh, Mac, of course, immediately is like, it's just Paul fucking with us, blah, blah, blah. Of course, trying to dismiss it. Yeah, which, again, no one's seen Paul since he disappeared last night. Oh, true. Like the the night before. 
so they go to the front room where the piano is and it stops playing when they enter the room and then suddenly slams some keys down but there's no one in the room besides this dummy that's set up to look like he's playing the piano which paul affectionately named hector hector (laughs) get him (laughs) so they can see that the keys slam again but again obviously there's no one else in the room and then they suddenly hear thumping and yelling assumingly from the basement Mm, gotta love that of course (laughs) so they take off running to investigate in the basement they find the clowns all chilling and like no sign of paul then so suddenly, Tony turns around with the camera to find all three clown heads facing him. Oh, love that. When again, they're supposedly not supposed to be able to do that. Right, yeah. And so he freaks out and, like, shoves Mac into this, like, freezer, storage <laughs> freezer that's down there. Like, like, like a restaurant walk-in one, like a huge one. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Mac's trying to calm him down, and he's like, do you believe in ghosts? And Tony's like, yes, I fucking believe in ghosts. <laughs> Tony says, yes, leave me alone. Let me out. (laughs) And Max says, well, I don't believe in ghosts. So we're going to walk out of there and it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Are you sure about that, buddy? I feel like it's not going to be fine. (laughs) So they open the Tony's like, no, 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 no. Like freaking out. And Mac opens the door and everything's normal again. Ah, yep. And Tony is immediately pissed. I mean, I would be pissed too. Yeah, because creepy things keep happening, and then, and then they just disappear when the like uh, regular people are here. I guess, like, I don't know. Yeah. So Tony's pissed, of course, and Mac is still blaming Paul until they suddenly find Paul slumped against the the wall in the basement, like comatose. Oh no! And <laughs> Mac still believes that Paul is doing all of this, and he's like. He's like shaking his like he's like <laughs> shaking Paul and being like, Wait the fuck up, motherfucker. <laughs> like he's so mad. And he literally like like forces Paul's eyes open and like his eyes open and he kinda looks around and just stares at them, but he won't say a word. He won't respond to anything. No. He's just staring. Weird. And Mac just continues to curse Paul out for pulling hijinks and then just fucking like (laughs) strides upstairs all pissed off and Tony has to basically drag Paul out of there like he's just so out of it damn cue the next scene in the basement again with the rest of the Scooby gang (laughs) so now Tony at this point is demanding that they shut the whole thing down I mean he's like there's been so much shit going on and it's not safe we gotta we gotta end this like we're it's not okay and alex is like why why do we need to shut it down yeah for real like what's the problem i don't understand bro (laughs) you're so stupid right so tony's like trying to explain like the clowns are doing creepy shit and like what the fuck's going on with paul he hasn't talked since we found him and he disappeared and like what the hell right yeah and Alex basically just calls him a pussy and says, like, the only thing he can't figure out is why Tony is so scared right now. Mm. The only thing I can't figure out is why you're so stupid. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> so Tony's just done with their shit. <laughs> he's, he's like, he's tired of Alex's nonchalance and he's tired of Mac always agreeing with Alex. So Tony says that he's fucking quitting and like, get fucked. I'm leaving. 
basically. Shit. I feel you on that one, friend. So Mac starts. Mac now has the camera and start is starting to go after Tony, and for some reason, Alex is literally screaming at Mac. No, no, don't go after him. Let him be. And you're Weird. like, dude, what the fuck is your problem? Right. Yeah. So Mac's chasing Tony outside, and all of a sudden, Mac starts saying. You don't understand everything, all right? You don't have all the facts. You need to hear what I have to say, and then you can choose to leave. Okay, so talk. And you're like, what the fuck does that mean? Well, one, what does that mean? But two, just get it out then. <laughs> Let's go. Right. But, it, but like, it's that's such a creepy thing to hear. Is like, you don't have all the facts you don't understand. It's like, what does that mean? <laughs> but I don't, the other part of that, too, is, is like, how do why do I need more facts to understand that I don't want to be here anymore? <laughs> Right. So, of course, it gets very staticky, the camera footage does, and suddenly we see Sarah, like, smiling and walking through these trees as Mac is telling Tony this mysterious thing. So we don't get to see or hear that conversation. Oh, okay. It, like, glitches out, and we're watching, like, Sarah walk through, like, a meadow instead. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. And then it cuts back to Tony sitting in a field of tall grass, saying that he can't leave Mac's right. And Mac gets down next to him and and is asks if he's okay. And Tony's like, no, not really. Like, this whole time you knew, but you didn't tell me. And now we're fucked because of fucking Alex. He fucking screwed us. Damn. Okay. So, I, I here is my quick rant. Okay. Rant time. So, here's the deal. I've listened to other podcasts cover this movie. And they believe that this means Mac knows the creepy things that Alex is hiding and shit like that. I, however, feel like that doesn't make sense for the movie, though. If Tony found out about the scary shit, I think he'd run away even faster. It wouldn't force him to stay. And I think if Mac knew all of the creepy shit that was going to happen, he'd have no reason to stay either. And they have talked about, like, why the fuck are they doing the haunt all the way out here in Abaddon when they normally do it in New York City and blah, blah, blah. So what I'm thinking is, is that the real reason they aren't in New York and they don't have moving props and all of this shit is because the company is actually out of money. And due to the hotel's history and its distance from the city, Alex was able to rent it so that he could set up this haunt very cheaply. Right. That seems logical. Right. And I think Tony's loyalty to Alex and the company is why he says he can't leave, even though Alex fucked them. I don't think if Tony or Mac knew what events would possibly happen opening night, that either would have stayed. Yeah, I agree with that. So then Tony says, he goes on to ask if Alex had told anyone else besides Mac, which the answer is no. And Mac says the scary thing is why he's not telling them. And Tony says, well, if you're staying, then I'm staying. I said, which again, to me, I feel sides with my theory of the reason only Mac and Alex know is because they're the ones in charge of the business and Alex is afraid to let any of the rest of the group know what's going on in case they all just abandon him, which is why he tries to pretend that like nothing's going wrong and nothing's happening and and stuff like that, because this is literally like their last chance to stay in business. I see what you're saying. Makes sense. Yeah. So then Tony says that he kind of has to stay. And Mac shouldn't be the one to apologize, that Alex needs to apologize to him. Yeah. I mean, that's a true statement. So we cut back to, did you forget this is a documentary? Because we cut back to interviewing Sarah. (laughs) Oh, yay. And Diane asks if opening night there was any props or equipment malfunctions that could have caused injuries. And Sarah says, to the best of her knowledge, like everything was prepared for opening night. Mm -hmm. 
Then Diane asks, was Alex of sound mind? Was he fit to run the show? Did anything on management's end cause the tragedy? And I was like, that's a weird question to ask. Yeah, that is kind of a targeted question, really. Right. It, like, implies, again, like, Alex is in on it somehow. Right. And Sarah says that Alex was always the same as always, that he was rallying the troops and saying everything was going to be fine. I said, again, I believe this is them trying to say that Alex was the one causing all of this or something, but at the beginning of the documentary, author Robert talks about how he believes Alex is doing what was best for him, his company, etc., mm-hmm. while emphasizing him like alex was doing everything for himself yeah and i said to me it continues to solidify that alex was at his wit's end trying to make this work before he lost everything right because it's like his company his business blah 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 so diane asks why didn't you leave and sarah said alex wasn't going to leave so i wasn't going to leave and then they're interviewing that random witness miranda again they're asking her if there were any kind of alarming signs before, like, they got to the basement. And mm. she talks about that clown going against traffic in the crowd again, which we do find out it was actually Joey. Oh, okay. In his clown suit from the basement. He was the one who was running against the crowd. Uh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. She talks about getting to the bottom of the basement steps and that no one could move because everyone already in the basement was trying to get out. Damn. And I said, that also means that the storm door must have been closed and locked or blocked at some point, too, since that was the nearest exit. Because that's how they planned the house. Right. Cut to Alex giving his quote-unquote pep talk. He is stumbling over his words and he... Like, keeps kind of trailing off when he's talking about last year being the biggest opening ever and shit like that. Mm. Melissa asks, you know, what happened to Paul because she hasn't seen him in a few days. And Alex says, Paul is under the weather, but not to worry about it. They'll be able to run the show without him and blah, blah, blah. He's, like, desperately looking at Mac for some kind of support. And it's obvious that he's, like, trying to keep a game face on for everybody, Mm. but it's not working. And so Max kind of has to take over a little bit and, like, be like... All right, gang, let's get to it. Right, I got you. Tony stays behind to apologize to Alex about how he reacted and that they'll be all right before giving Alex a hug. And he says, and Alex says, you know, I couldn't run this without you to Tony. I mean, at least he acknowledges that he needs people. Right. And again, I said this to me keeps solidifying my idea that like the company's going bankrupt or something Mm -hmm. because at this point tony is the only maintenance slash effects guy left and if tony had left they would have had to shut down right that night because they wouldn't have had anybody to do the effects and then they would have been the company would have been done for good right they for sure would have been shut down without him Right. I also don't think Tony would go and apologize and hug Alex and stuff if he had just learned that Alex has doomed them all or some shit. Right. Yeah. So to me, to me, it's just checking more and more boxes of like what's really happening is that they want to they want to pretend that Alex was in on this shit, but he actually didn't know anything about it and was they were just on their last. They it, it was his final chance to get the company money. And mm-hmm. that was what was spurring him on. Uh, I got you. So Tony goes to check on Paul, who's in, in in his room. Paul is seemingly passed out in the bed and like no one can wake him up. He's, and he's not stirring at all. And now we're finally at opening night. And 
they're like peeking out the windows, so excited about the line that they have forming mm-hmm. in the basement. We see Joey is getting in his clown garb and sitting against the wall, and Melissa is chained up to the ceiling, literally chained. <laughs> Damn. And I said, I feel like that's an OSHA violation or some shit. <laughs> For real, like, damn. I was like, literally in case of an emergency that, like, actually fucking happens in this movie, don't lock someone up without a way to escape fuckheads. What the hell? Right. And we we learned that literally Joey's the one that has the keys to her chains. So Joey's oh. her only way out. And, the, and he ran out of the basement. And he ran out of the basement. Well, goodbye. Yeah. So... Now Mac is acting kind of suspicious because Melissa's asking him, like, is everything okay? You tell me if there was a problem. And he's like, yeah, yeah, it's nothing. It's not a big deal. Which are not comforting words in the slightest. No, not at all. If you're worried about anything in any type of haunted house, you should be announcing that to your your Actors. team. Yeah. He then cuts her stir- shirt straight down the middle so that she's in a bra and panties for some fucking reason. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> It's not it's not explained. He didn't, like, tear her shirt, so it actually looked, like, scary. He just cut it straight down the middle. <laughs> so now we're in the control room with Tony and Alex. They're radioing everyone that they're starting in ten minutes and to get into position. They ask if anyone's seen Paul and find out via cameras that Max Walkie is not working as they see him, like, mouthing and trying to talk to them, but they hear mm-hmm. nothing on their walkie-talkie. Mm, well, that's lovely. Yeah. So already there's malfunctionings happening right off the bat. And then we see Mac turn on a head-mounted camera, greet the crowd, and then we start seeing clips. They start splicing together, like, clips from the YouTube video, clips from other tour-going cameras, and then, like, his head-mounted camera clips together. So it it's, it's kind of like you'll see, like... Mm-hmm. You'll see, like, okay, this is what the tour-goers go- tour, tour were seeing, and this is what Mac was seeing, and this is what Mac was dealing with, and blah, blah, blah. Right. So, it's not bad. It, it is interesting to see. That's cool, actually. Then suddenly Sarah runs into the spot where Mac is hiding in, and she says that she thinks she just saw Paul staring at her, and Mac was like, I'll take care of it. So, he tries to radio Alex and Tony, but it's not working. And then they suddenly see mm-hmm. Joey running past them. Joey's so like they're the the clown the from yeah. the basement Joey yeah. so they're they're just in their hiding spot and they watch Joey run past them and they're like Joey what the fuck yeah. so they try to walkie Alex and Tony again on why he's running out of the basement but there's no response so they keep hearing these like screamings and creakings and they're recognizing that something isn't right and then that's when you see the video footage of when Sarah like runs up that back stair stairway on the YouTube video. Because Mac told Sarah to go get Alex and figure out what the fuck's going on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, like, they're connecting the video shots we saw at the beginning of the movie with everything that's happening now. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So suddenly we're watching another tour goer's camera footage. Melissa is screaming for Joey to unchain her because this isn't part of the show. And we see that's when we see Joey run and abandon her. Oh, love that. Jesus, Joey, yeah. do your job, yeah. bro. And so we keep catching glimpses of these, like, robed figures heading toward Melissa, who is still begging for her life. And the crowd is confused because, like, they're in a haunted house and it's supposed to be scary. So they they don't understand that it's real, which is why she's mm. screaming, like, this is real, this isn't part of the show, like, fucking help me, but no one knows what right. to do. 
Right. And then the camera starts getting glitchy and everyone is like trying to run upstairs. And it's so chaotic that you really can't see what's happening. But it looks like the roped figures kind of walk up and like grab Melissa, which causes more panic. And then we see the figures like walking towards the uh, crowd. The camera pans backward again and we get like this really, really, really quick glimpse of this robed figure hissing into the camera. I had to pause it. Like, if you didn't pause it, you wouldn't see his face. Oh, okay. Like, but because I paused it, I was able to see his face. And it was kind of, his face is like the scariest part of the movie. Because his face was like rotted and decaying. His lips were missing. He was just baring his teeth. And his eyes were completely black. He sounds hideous. Yeah. But again... (laughs) They did the thing where, because it's found footage, it flashed by so fast on the found footage that right. you, you didn't know that's what it looked like. And I had to pause to see it. Mm. And I and I was mad because, like, that was a genuinely scary moment. And I wish that they had actually right. just made it possible to realize. Right, yeah, no, for real. So, as a tour goer is trying to escape, they drop their camera. And we, ch- again, I have to pause at this point. Because it's such a quick flash that you really don't see it. But I understand, like, part of the point of found footage is that it's chaotic. Right. But it just annoys me from a story standpoint of, like, I'd really like to see these details. (laughs) That makes sense. But um, he drops the camera and we see, like, a glimpse of these two robed figures holding Melissa in an almost crucifixion type stance. Which is not the way that she was chained up before. Right. Because she was chained up with, like, you know, very stereotypical with, like, her her hands above her head, yeah. wrists crossed, like, chained up. Right. And um, I said at this point, we're, like, kind of unsure if she's alive or dead at this point. Oh, uh, yeah. That, uh, a... mm. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, again, though, you have to fucking pause to notice this, which just keeps making me mad. Right. I should be able to notice these things real time and not after the fact, but okay. So back to Max POV, his camera is glitching really bad as well. And he's leading a bunch of the people out of an emergency exit. Mm -hmm. And then we can also see the people who tried to leave through the storm door, like ran back towards the stairs too. So I think that maybe things were coming out of the storm door or they were literally blocked in by them i like i just can't tell um as mac is trying to get everybody out the door slams shut and then when he tries to open it again it's locked up tight and no one can hear his banging over the sirens and screams so he starts leading the rest of the stragglers towards a different exit and tells tony to go check the basement because none of the hell house members have seen what's going on down there yet oh shit like none of them have made it to the basement it's just been melissa and then like tour goers and joey in the basement right so They run through the dining room, which is, again, all immaculately set up with, like, the grandfather clock, the candelabra, everything, Mm -hmm. which, again, it wasn't like that before. And they see, like, a child standing in the corner. No, thanks. They're both terrified because we know that that was not their setup. And we can probably guess that it's the 11-year-old mentioned earlier in the movie. Mm -hmm. Of the missing one, because, like, we haven't heard about any other child. That's true. This entire movie. So... And then we find out Melissa actually is still alive because we hear her screaming. No, please. I know. She's screaming for help. And the closer Matt gets to the basement, the more his camera keeps like glitching out. 
And then right when Matt gets to the top of the stairs, he sees Tony backed into a corner with the black-robed figures approaching him before the door slams shut and locks on its own with Tony screaming. (laughs) Tony, no! Yeah. We're gonna assume at this point that Tony and Melissa are dead. Yeah, probably. I mean... They just got got. You never know what happens behind closed doors, but damn. (laughs) It turns out to just be a really elaborate orgy setup. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And Alex is like, oh, I didn't didn't tell you about that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I didn't mention that? Oh, I'm sorry. That was was all part of the plan. No stress. No stress. No stress. Peace and love. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. So Max starts running up the stairs that Sarah used earlier and actually meets her halfway up the stairs, telling her to go back up. And they decide to run to the attic for some fucking reason. Why the attic? Why not just run out of the building? I don't know. I said maybe Mac thought that they'd be safe from, like, the killers because they'd be in the tallest part of the house away from the basement, which... I guess maybe. It's, like, the farthest away from the basement i guess but i i didn't i didn't think it made sense either i was yeah. like go out the front door what are you talking about right but you know it's fine <laughs> it's it's fine so they get up into the attic which is obviously like not staged because no one was supposed to go up there and then when they get into the room stairs sarah starts screaming and we see alex is hanging from the ceiling choking to death um trying to get out of the noose Oh, goodbye, Alex. That's attached to, like, the chain that they saw in the attic earlier. Ah, yep. Yeah. So Mac runs up with the camera to try and save Alex, but turns around when Sarah screams to find a bunch of the robed figures standing around Mm. him. Beautiful. One of the robed figures seemingly grabs Mac, which makes the camera, like, all staticky and the audio not work, and then suddenly the camera falls and we see hanged Alex's feet in his shadow coupled with Sarah screaming for help. Oh, no. And then, like, the scene kind of fades out with, like, emergency sirens in the distance. Jesus. Yeah. That's not the end of the movie, though. (laughs) Interesting. We still got more to go. (laughs) So, suddenly, we're back to interviewing Sarah, but, like, and I was like, okay, but, like, what the fuck happened to Mac? (laughs) Yeah, for real, though. Like, honestly, that poor guy. I was like, he was touched by the figure, and then poof, he's just fucking gone. We just never see his body or anything. Like, Max just gone. Maybe that's exactly what happened. Poof. Goodbye. I guess. Um, Sarah said that she came down from the attic and managed to get out the front door when the police arrived. Diane, of course, is like, suspicious, because how the fuck was she able to just fucking leave after she watched a bunch of her friends die to these people? And... Diane asks, you know, if this story is true, then how is it able to be kept from the public for so long? Oh, I mean, that's a great question. It's true. And Sarah decides to skirt that question by saying that she's tired and she needs a break. Same. (laughs) And uh, so she's like, I already have my own room and I'm tired. I'm just going to go rest for a couple hours. Come to 2C and get me later. Right. And at first I was like, no (laughs) fuck you sarah like keep talking except for like a scene and a half later we suddenly learn that it's 5 a.m it's 5 in the morning apparently oh 5 a.m yeah i'm like why the fuck are you conducting this interview with sarah at 5 in the morning oh boy 5 a.m 
now I understand why she's tired. <laughs> she <laughs> kept, you've kept her all night, up all night interviewing her. <laughs> right, yeah, for real, though. So they, like, get her unmiked and they set the camera down. But they don't turn it off. And off camera, we hear Sarah tell Diane that Dan should really go inside the house and see what's inside. What? Excuse me, you just... What? Why are you encouraging her to go into a death trap? Right, yeah. Okay. And Dan's like, well, I tried, but it's all boarded up and I can't get a permit. And Sarah's like, is that all that's stopping you? Damn. Yeah. I was like, whoa. Damn, calm down. And then she leaves and Diane's like, it is five in the morning and there's no one here. Let's do it. And I was like, I was like, what are you, a middle schooler? You get called a chicken and you, you go and do right. the thing? Like, Gotta prove them wrong. Gotta prove them wrong. Like, Come on now. <laughs> so Diane decides to go with her cameraman to the house. And I said two things. One, you were interviewing this chick at five in the morning and that's not weird? <laughs> like, what? That doesn't strike you as a little bit strange to be interviewing at 5 a.m.? Yeah. Question mark? I also call bull that it actually was 5 a.m. Because when they walk out into the hotel lobby, it is bright as fuck outside. <laughs> Bullshit. I'm like, it's noon. It's not 5 a.m. <laughs> right, no way. <laughs> X to doubt. Yeah. Dan stops by the front desk saying that they're stepping out for a little bit. And if the woman in 2C calls for her to tell her that, like, Dan will be back. Right. And the, that's when we find out... Um, from the hotel clerk that there is no room to see that the hotel rooms in this hotel don't have any letters only numbers so then diane's like okay can you tell me what room sarah havel is checked into and the hotel clerk says that there's no sarah havel checked into the hotel oh so she's talking to a ghost (laughs) so the cameraman is like well maybe she's using like a fake identity or something because remember she hasn't been heard since the tragedy Oh, that's true. They're wondering if she's trying to keep, like, a low profile or something. So while Diane and her cameraman are exploring, we're told that someone, Mitchell, is staying behind and finishing up cataloging the footage. And then there's an info card, and it states that what he sees after Diane left is unexplainable. And then we cut to some more footage from the Abaddon Hotel. Love it. So... We cut back to this camera shot and we hear like distant warbled screaming and the camera is suddenly picked up by Sarah who's crying. Uh, We also see that this camera was in the wine room, which was nowhere near where the camera was dropped by Mac, nor where Alex died. Right. So I don't know what fucking camera this is. (laughs) Interesting. Because it's not theirs as far as I can tell. Mystery camera. Yeah. She makes her way into the kitchen and sees a robed figure, and then she heads to the front door where she finds Paul standing in front of the front door, like, zombified. Like, he's just standing there staring at her. She puts the camera down and goes up and hugs him, and instead of responding or acknowledging her at all, he moves past her, grabs the camera, and then we see him murder the fuck out of Sarah. Oh, goodbye. So we don't see Sarah. What we see instead is the cameras facing him and we see him like kicking the shit out of her. Oh, God. And then the tape is like glitching and we see blood splattering everywhere. Like he's like he literally knocked her to the ground and she's like kicking the shit out of her. And then suddenly we see her on the ground like gasping and bleeding. And then 
we hear this low growling and we hear footsteps and but we don't see anything but we watch sarah's eyes on the camera she's obviously following something that's walking around behind the camera right and then she's dragged off screen goodbye and suddenly there's some more warbled audio again drowned out by like tape scratching before we see paul pick up a shard of glass and slice his own throat open oh my god and he collapses against the wall and we would just watch him gag and die on his own blood Mm, right as the police break into the hotel Mm. quality so obviously he was the first person found with the self-inflicted throat wound right of course from earlier so now this is where we see that the opening scene of the movie is actually the ending scene as we find Diane and the cameraman at the hotel where, like, she's super excited and mm-hmm. uh, they, they're they having trouble finding a way in until they find one unlocked door and they go inside and Diane's, again, way too super excited seeing all the blood stains and smears everywhere. Like... She's literally like walking through the hotel and being like, oh my god, this is where they were doing this on the video, and this is where they were doing that on the video. Like, way too happy about it. Um, we also see that the blood smear that was like Sarah's body from the front door, mm-hmm. uh, we see it dragged all the way into the hallway, and then the drag marks end against the wall. Oh. No, not, not in a doorway or anything. It ends flat against a wall. Weird. Yeah. And you also remember that the, that in the 911 call, she was freaking out mm-hmm. about the wall, too. So something's right. going on with that. Diane's pissing me off with how way too happy she is to be in this horrific sight of a horrific crime. Right. Where she, like, finds the basement and she's like, oh, my God, look at all of those handprints and the blood splatter and everything. And the cameraman's like, great, I'm not going downstairs. Like, that's... I'm gonna stay here, thanks. And he's like, no, you, I'm not doing that. Which is funny, because that's what the journalist did, too. But it sucks, because it means we'll never see the full scene of the basement. Right. We don't know everything that happened down there. Yeah, that's true. So, and then they're intersplicing, like, again, as they're, like, walking through, they're intersplicing clips of the Scooby gang hanging out in these specific spots mm-hmm. for no reason. Because they're not showing anything important. <laughs> Just to show that this is where these people died. No. This tragedy happened. Yeah, here. like, not even where they died, though. Because it's like she walks past the bar and it does the shot of when they were all just drinking and playing cards at the bar. Yeah, but it's like memories because this is... They died. There's such a tragedy here, so let's look back on all the memories they had before they died. I know, but they don't... <laughs> Nothing of it's important. <laughs> <laughs> here's a memory of wrong. when they drank beer and played spades right <laughs> <laughs> like who the fuck cares what the hell and then um <laughs> i started laughing to myself because i missed this i missed this detail the first time i ever watched this movie which is yeah diane's phone rings but she doesn't answer saying it's mitchell and she'll call him on the way back and Mitchell was the one who just saw Sarah literally die on tape and was trying to call and warn Diane that something fishy's going on. Right. So Diane oh, no. just sealed her own fate, which, lol. Goodbye, Diane. I don't really give a fuck about her, so. <laughs> <laughs> so they head up the stairs that, um, they head up those stairs that once, like, Sarah and Mac took in the video. Mm-hmm. And they yeah. run right into a door marked to see. 
Oh, mm-hmm. shit. And, of course, the cameraman is like, nope, 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 not doing it. <laughs> no, no, I'm good. Nope, you, nope, mm-mm, not doing it. He's like, he's like, we're playing with fire, bitch. I don't like this. <laughs> and Diane's like, oh, you don't think that she's here, do you? It's like, does it matter? Like, what? Does it matter? That sounds like some white people shit. Oh, you want to know what's really white people shit? You know those, like, hook latches? Yeah. It has that on the outside of the door that she has to unlatch to get into that room. Why is it on the outside? I don't know. Why does she unlatch it? Yeah, that's a good point, too. Exactly. So, so I was like, I was like, this door is one of those hatch look lock, hatch lat, oh god, hook latch locks on the outside of the door that she willingly unlocks. She deserves to die. <laughs> yep, for sure. <laughs> deserves to die. She willingly Bye. unlocks this latch that's on the outside of the door. What's wrong with you? So Diane goes into the room and Sarah's sitting on the bed back facing them. She gets Sarah's attention, and Sarah turns around, and we see that she's super pale, her face is all bloody, and she's wearing the same clothes from the video that she, like, died in. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly the door slams shut behind them and locks. And then when they turn back around, Sarah's menacingly standing there with a couple of the road people, like, in shadow. And they get attacked. Goodbye. The camera glitches, and then we see the camera laying on the floor, filming an empty room. The eerie piano music from earlier begins playing. The scene goes black, and then a final card appears with a picture of the Scooby gang saying, To this day, the tragedy at the at the Abaddon Hotel remains a mystery to the public. Damn. No R.I.P. Diane and cameraman. <laughs> right, yeah, no R.I.P., just... Remains a mystery. Okay, goodbye. Which, if they died in the hotel, who got that footage back? <laughs> also true. Good, good. Yeah. So not only does the documentary not give a fuck that some of their people died, but if they did die, how did they get the footage of it? <laughs> <laughs> That's a true statement. Oh, I didn't think about that. So, like, all right. So here's what I have to say. Okay. <laughs> Like, so I have, so, uh, first let me ask this. What do you think happened? Um, I mean, honestly, it sounds like it was the house itself, or the hotel itself was haunted by whatever, Mm -hmm. and it did whatever it needed to do to get them the fuck out of the house, including killing them. But, like, what's with the, like, robed cultist-esque people? What's with the walls? Well, I mean, considering, considering the uh, the stuff in the basement, it sounds like they like there is a cult that was there at one point in time, mm-hmm. and they all killed themselves to like sacrifice themselves to Satan or some shit. Mm-hmm. Ah, that's the only thing I could think of. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Uh, they um, there's been theories that because uh, author Robert mentions that Tolly was trying to be the new Dante. And they mm-hmm. talk about entrance to hell, that maybe yeah. the house signifies the literal, like, entry to hell, and then that's why these, like, demonic entities slip in and out of the walls. Is that not Amityville? I don't remember. <laughs> it's been so long since I've seen Amityville. Oh, I mean, those those are some, that's some of my favorite, like, I love the story of the Amityville house, and so, like... Th- 
I didn't think they had anything to do with it being like the gateway to hell, though. I thought it was just like the dude got possessed and then killed his family. Yes, there was. I think one of the movies maybe took some artistic liberties. <laughs> but um, one of the movies talks about it being a gateway to hell. And mm. that's the one I think that's that might be the one with Ryan Reynolds. I would say artistic liberties because um, the Amityville is is like kind of sort of based off of Ed Ed and Lorraine's cases, just like The Conjuring is, but like very loosely based. And um, uh, there's a (laughs) Caleb on Horror Soup was reviewing all of the Amityville horror movies, which uh, according to him, there's like 52. Yeah, there's a shit ton of them. And one of them takes place in space. Oh. So I I'm not gonna what? I'm not gonna rely on anything the Amityville movie said. <laughs> yeah, I get that. Just saying. <laughs> it just reminded me of it. That's all. No, that's totally fair. But like, <laughs> there's one in space, just like there's Jason in space. Like I'm good. I don't. <laughs> so my comments are: uh, we got no real backstory. We got no confirmation on what the horror actually was, uh, if it was even really paranormal or not. Like, literally nothing. Right. The villains weren't scary. Nope. It was just, like, robed figures and then just, like, random jump scares. And then the the one clown that just kept appearing in places. <laughs> the one clown. Uh, the scares aren't scary because they were all just, like, kind of regular-ass haunted house jump scares. Again, like a clown just appearing and disappearing. Right. And shit like that. Like, okay. I was like, I was a little nervous on some parts, but I, it's, it never kept me on the edge of my seat. I was yeah. never scared for what was coming next. Yeah, but you don't get scared easily, so. True, but still. Actually, I would say untrue, because I do get scared. Uh, paranormal stuff doesn't scare me very easily, but I do get scared pretty easily. I mean, I guess that's more what I meant, because this movie is more seems more paranormal than anything, and so you just don't get scared about that kind of stuff, so. Fair, but, like, I do dislike clowns, and even the clown didn't scare me. I was like, he just keeps, <laughs> just like, he doesn't ever He's do anything there. to them. He just keeps appearing and disappearing, and then that's it. Creepy. So, you know, the characters were okay. I feel like there's just way too much that's, like, open-ended, because... Again, like, we don't have backstory, nothing's confirmed, like, I, again, I understand it's supposed to be, like, found footage, but the found footage itself isn't interesting enough to let these questions be okay. Right. And then I honestly thought that they kind of ruined the ending, because, like, I felt like they, they did the Sarah surprise early. Yeah. I think we should have seen Diane knock, the door swing open, we see Sarah, and then we, like, Sarah turns and we see her face, and then it cuts to the footage of Sarah dying. Yeah, I agree with you. To me, I think that would have been more fulfilling rather than seeing Sarah die and then knowing, of course, she's going to be in the hotel with Diane and them. Right, yeah. The pacing isn't too bad. It's a fairly quick watch, honestly. And the plot's pretty entertaining for what it is. So it's not like an amazing movie, but it's not the worst either. And I mean, I've I've voluntarily watched this movie multiple times too. So I obviously don't hate it. <laughs> right. And 
it doesn't make me too outrageously angry, <laughs> uh, but it does have a lot of plot holes. So I, I mean, I think I'd give it a solid like 4.5 out of 10 for those reasons. That makes sense. Yeah. It's, uh, I think, I think they said if you count up all of the kills discussed and seen in the movie, it's about 15. That sounds about accurate. Yeah. So decent movie. Uh, it is funny. I do enjoy watching it, but it is like, what? <laughs> What's going on? What's happening? Maybe if we watch the other two, the two sequels, we'll right. know what the fuck's going on. But I would, I kind of hate if I have to watch sequels to understand the movie. Right. Yeah. Like, why would you need, why would you make me watch a sequel just to understand the first movie? Like, that's kind of frustrating. Right. Like, we, we mentioned the Fear Street movies before we started recording today, and it's mm-hmm. like, they're all connected, but right. each movie also still stands alone by itself as a horror movie. Right, and they're all good. They're quality movies. I really enjoy every single one of those. Yeah. So, like, that, you can do that for a trilogy, but don't make right. it where, like, the first movie makes 0% sense unless I've seen two and three. I think I'm going to keep a tally for how many times I say what during the movie. And then I will let you guys know. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. Because I'm so I'm so sure so many times I was like, huh? What? Excuse me? <laughs> Alright, and you've picked out the movie for next time. Go ahead and tell us. Yes. So the movie I picked out is The Ritual. Um, I'm actually really excited about it because it kind of reminds me of one of the first few horror movies that Rose and I got to watch together um, called The Forest. So I, it seems similar to that. Obviously, it's not the same. So I'm curious to see their take on it in this movie. It is a Netflix original, so very curious. But I'm excited about it because we're going to hop off the paranormal train for a second. At least it feels like we're hopping off the paranormal train. I might be wrong. The forest is hella paranormal. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. The ritual doesn't seem as paranormal. I Maybe by just mm. based off the title itself because it sounds more like there's like an actual ritual that's happening meanwhile mm-hmm. these these guys are walking through you know what i mean yeah okay so that's more what i'm saying off the paranormal train but i do understand where you're coming from where it could be paranormal that's why i'm saying maybe maybe not it feels yeah. like it but i don't know for sure dude i love the forest it's, it's not a good movie. <laughs> i was about to say it's kind of a shitty movie <laughs> i love it don't get me wrong i love it I love that movie, but if you actually take a look at the movie, <laughs> it's kind of shitty. <laughs> I've only ever watched it the once with you, so if I go back and watch it, I'll probably agree with you. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> but I love it. I also just love uh, the idea of the Okikahara forest, the suicide forest yeah. itself. It's ju- it's just interesting oh, yeah. to even just research, honestly. So I love I love that the forest takes place there. That's my biggest reason for loving it. Super cool. Yeah. All right, guys. So next time we're going to watch The Ritual. And if you guys want to email us, you can email us at nafgpod at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at nafgpod. Find us on Instagram at notafinalgirlpod. Find us on TikTok at nafgpod. On Twitch, notafinalgirl. We stream horror games sometimes and eventually. Also find <laughs> Janet's <laughs> find Janet's uh Twitch at Dragon Queen124, my Twitch Dempsey underscore May, 
I've streamed once. Maybe I'll do it again. <laughs> she will do it again. I'll make her do it again. Don't worry. <laughs> and I think that's the episode. So thank you everybody for joining in. I hope you guys have a had a good week and continue having a good week. I say the same. We appreciate every single one of you for listening and thank you so much for coming through. Let us know if you guys have any feedback. Adios, Ghost Gang. Farewell, Ghosters. Love you all. Thank you.